Once again, this is yours truly, D-Mecca. Representing my girl, ESP Speaks. So sit back, relax, as we take you on a journey. I'm your DJ for tonight, D-Mecca. Catch me on the morning soul, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on www.sheesaboss.com. But in the meantime, in between time, sit back, relax, as we get ready for today's home. The lovely Miss. ESP Speaks. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is DJ Wiz from Kid and Play, and I'm listening to the ESP. Don't y'all know it's a house party up in here? You better tune in. Good evening, and welcome to ESP and Jack Speaks. Jax is on assignment, so it will just be you and I hanging out, and a fabulous guest. It's always good to see you. Ah, it's March, and March is Women's History Month. So we're going to be doing a couple of great things with regard to the women making history in your lives, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that during the course of the month. So keep an eye out on our ESP Speaks page on Facebook. This is also National Peanut Butter Day. I know. it's So if you're a peanut butter fan, today is your day. That's, uh, yeah, March 2nd is also Teen Mental Health Awareness Day. And we're going to be doing a couple of shows this month based on where your teen is at. We're going to talk to a couple of them about the pandemic and how they feel about what's going on. Of course, their phases will be covered. They will have avatars on screen. But the important thing is that we have several teens that are willing to come on and with their parents' permission, of course, but the parents won't be in the room, so they will feel free to speak freely. And we also will be joined with Dr. Che Johnson, a psychotherapist, 
that's going to help them kind of hit on a couple of issues that may be bothering them. So as a parent, that'll be a good show for you to tune in and we'll keep you abreast of when that date will be. Um, the third is National Cold Cut Day and the fourth is National Sun's Day, which is a great day to celebrate. On the fifth, it's National Multiple Personality Day. I'm going to leave that one right there. And on the 6th, it is White Chocolate Cheesecake Day. I think I can really get into that day. But we'll do the rest of them. As we go through the weeks, we will keep you abreast as to what national, whatever, whatever day it is. So you are watching us right now live on facebook you may also be on periscope or instagram or youtube live please start a watch party invite a friend or a friend of a friend <laughs> and if they can't or you can't sit through the whole broadcast today you can catch us on uh iHeartRadio, spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. YouTube once again keeps us on a permanent basis so you can go back into all of our previous shows if you want to rewatch. That's great. We're on TuneIn, we're on Apple Podcast, we're on Breaker. We are on Radio Public, Twitcher, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast. And if you do make it back to our YouTube page, please click the little bell to subscribe. Leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. If you don't want to leave a comment on YouTube, you can send us a quick note at ESP Real Talk. That's on Instagram. If you'd like to hit us up on Twitter, we're on ESP Speaks at Twitter. And if you'd like to send us an email, we're at ESPSpeaks at gmail.com. We are also at ESP at ESPSpeaks.com. And very soon, for those of you who don't like getting on social media and wait for the tag to watch us after on YouTube, you'll be able to go straight to our ESPSpeaks.com page and we'll be on there as well. Once again, thank you for your listenership. You've taken our numbers through the roof as normal. And we found it interesting that we, we started to see Facebook dwindle in terms of the numbers but what you guys are doing I guess Facebook is no longer as popular as we thought you're going out to the other branches wherever you can pick us up it's perfectly fine because we'll come there and see your comments and we will work with you there we just thank you thank you thank you for staying with us so that brings me to our guest today and He's a talker. <laughs> so rather than me spend a whole bunch of time on auxiliary stuff, I want to really turn over the platform to him. There are two things that we're going to be doing with him today. The first is he finally, after so much prodding and pushing, decided to have his own podcast. So we're going to be helping him to introduce that. And hopefully you will find him as dynamic as we do. And you'll pick up on his podcast.
podcast. I'll tell you about that in a second. But I want to give you an idea as to who he is. He's known as, and to me, he's known as the most electrifying minister, a profound keynote speaker and writer and strategist. He's a civil rights leader and activist. And the Reverend has also served on the national, as the National Field Secretary and Chief of Field Operations for the Rainbow Push Coalition. Also, the African American Leadership Commission, the Black United Methodist Alliance of Congregations, um, the United States Congregation of Health Summit, the NAACP, the Anti-Defamation League, the Broadcast Ministers Alliance of Chicago, and the list goes on and on and on. And as I said, his now most electrifying project, which I think is fabulous, is his new podcast, which is called Living Spin Live. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, family, 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 I'm telling you, this is a dynamic speaker. Please welcome Reverend Gregory Seal Livingston. So good evening, Reverend Gregory. What a pleasure it is to see you again. Our family is looking forward to meeting you. So why don't you give us a little bit of information about yourself? Tell us about you. Well, thank you, ESP. And it is a pleasure to be with you. I've always admired your work and what you do your heart and your passion for the people. And I'm thankful to be on your program, to be able to share with your incredible family and for all of us to get to know one another. You know, I live here in New York City. This is my home, but I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, the South side of Chicago. People hear all kinds of things about the South side, but you know, we don't do too bad, but I'm glad to be here in New York. And, you know, we had a, involved in many things uh, in Chicago, of course, I've pastored and my work in public ministry, done a lot of some global work when I was national field secretary at the uh, Rainbow Push Coalition with Reverend Jesse Jackson. We traveled the world and did all those things. And so I I've had a broad range of experiences and now I'm glad I'm in the Big Apple. And I came here at what couldn't be a more opportune time, <laughs> you know, uh, the pandemic. But I realized something that if I can make it while the pandemic is going on, when the pandemic has lifted, you know, the darkness is gone and the sun is shining bright. Have mercy. What are we going to be able to do for the people then? That's how I look at this. It's all about perspective. And for me, everything is about perspective. So I'm glad to be here and I'm looking forward to continuing to work with you, to collaborate as we find ways to make life better for people. Because God knows he woke me up this morning. So guess what? I'm blessed. That's right. That's right. Well, Reverend, it's always a joy to have you with us. And you've made, you've made my week. You've made my whole month, actually. <laughs> and mutual, happy mutual. Happy Women's History Month, by the way. Passion project of yours called Livingston Live. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that podcast? Sure. You know, it, it is about really integrating what we do with the digital world. You know, I'm not one of those people that has problems with cell phones, TVs, or anything technical, digital, or whatever it be. Because, you know, I grew up in an analog world. You know, it was telephones you dialed before touch tone. There mm -hmm. were no answering machines. You know, you, you know, if somebody wasn't home, you just called back. Mama told you let the phone ring six to eight times or whatever it was, <laughs> and then just hang up. 
you know, <laughs> you go to the telephone booth. We had telephone booths try to make a call. You know, you drop in a nickel, you drop in a dime, you drop in a quarter. And then you would go looking in the refund little box to see if you get some spare change so you could buy some penny candy. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Come on, that's right. You know, sometimes you got lucky because somebody was drunk when they were using the payphone and they never looked in there to get their change. I lived in a neighborhood where people got drunk and used the payphone because they needed a ride or something or they had to call home and report. Uh, I'll be home in a little bit. <laughs> but uh, because, you see, I see all these things as an extension of our humanity. You know, a car is an extension of the human urge to travel. You know, a, a plane, a boat, all these things. Everything that we do is an extension of our humanity. There's the genius of the human being to increase their ability to accomplish that which we have been made and created and designed and engineered for. Mm -hmm. And so, but it is, a, but the danger comes with anything. You know, addiction, addiction is merely the aberration of our ability to focus and to have like laser uh, uh, attention to something. It, it becomes an aberration when that laser focus begins to manage us instead of we managing it. So I'm not gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. Just because I shouldn't be eating pancakes, I'm not gonna tell you to stop. You know, you may <laughs> manage pancakes real well. I don't manage pancakes well. But then you may tell me, you know what, well, I ain't eating watermelon no more, but look, I manage watermelon well. You leave my watermelon alone. You know, so again, it's all about perspective. And, and, and I apply that rule basically to everything that I do in life, even when it comes to good and evil. One thing I've learned, you can never have enough good and you always, you know, you know evil, evil does have a place in the world mm -hmm. because sometimes evil is like pain. Pain is there to wake us up that something is wrong. Something is out of order. And so it's just like if you hurt your knee and you ignore it, that your knee needs treatment. And then a year later, your back begins to hurt. Your doctor, again, if he's a good doctor, he will ask you, have you had any other injuries? Mm -hmm. And then when he finds out that you hurt your knee a year ago, he then understands that you have been overcompensating in your gait or the way that you walk, and now your back is hurting. So the doctor realizes if I fix the back and not the knee, the back will continue to hurt. So let me start at the root of the problem and then the other things will work themselves out so i don't know what all i just said to you because you just make me talk <laughs> esp you know you got that extra uh sensory perception going on oh, you know so my. But, but but yeah without a doubt you know we are we are great even if we don't realize it yet we are great and no matter how much damage you've received one of the things that i've learned about my body and my time here on this planet is that the body is forgiving. The body, mm -hmm. when you say, I'm going to make a change, the body will then forgive you as you are doing this because every orthopedic surgeon will tell you this, that if a person breaks their leg, they can set the bone, but they can't mend it. There's a power that's bigger than you and I that mm -hmm. is, quote unquote, the mystical, magical, that brings the life energy to, 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 to mend that bone but here's the problem with ESP, is that you can have the wrong bone setter. The wrong bone setter can reset the bone the wrong way. Mm. And then the bone begins to mend wrongly because mm -hmm. power does not discriminate. Power doesn't discriminate. The power is still working, but we've learned something, that if it starts to mend the wrong way, 
then we have to re-break the bone mm. and do it right. And the same way in our lives every day, you may have had a bad upbringing. Folks may not like you. Your people may not have liked you. You may not have liked your people, whatever. But look, I'm on here with you today is that we can break and re-break until we get it right. So give me a break <laughs> and, and take a break today. All right. Uh, you pre you preaching now, Reverend Liberty. Come on, come on. You preaching. But Hallelujah. The the, yes. yes, the question was. <laughs> I forgot, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's okay. It's a flow, and it's we flow. enjoy the flow. The question was about your podcast, and you've oh. answered it. <laughs> You've answered it inadvertently in your explanation. Because, I, because ESP, I, yes. I, I, I realized that I needed that extension, if, if mm. you will. I needed that digital expansion. I never forget something that Ben Kingsley, who played Gandhi, you know, the role that he became world famous for. He yes. was on the Oprah Winfrey show. And Oprah loved Ben Kingsley because he it took a, an incredible person to play uh, the personage of uh, Mohandas K. Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. And Oprah said to him, why did you become an actor? And he answered her quite honestly. He said, because I like to be seen and heard. And, you know, anyone that's out there in front of the public eye, if that isn't one of your reasons for being out there, because it's not a bad thing to like being seen and heard. And everybody isn't wired or built the same. But, but, what happens is when you begin to understand that you like being seen and heard, I happen to believe that somebody put that in you. So now that can be utilized and used to help and to bless other people. Mm. A gift is not for you. The gift is for you to give to someone else. And so, you know, I I've learned over time that I like being seen and heard ESP. So then as I began to, I did a podcast with a reporter. And we were supposed to do 30 minutes and went like an hour and a half. We had an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. And then she said to me afterwards, she says, you need to really consider doing a podcast. And I know you have spoke to me a bit about that last year, but I still didn't know too much about it. I saw mm -hmm. that equipment you had and everything that you would do. And I'm like, man, I'm too lazy to do all that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I said, okay, it was a Saturday or Saturday before last. I said, you know, I, I know how I am. I believe in action. So let me mm -hmm. just get on here and, and I downloaded the app and I got on my phone and just said, let, let me do it. Because one thing I do know is that I've learned more from failing than I have not trying, mm -hmm. you know. And like Samuel Beckett said, he said, try, fail, fail better. And uh, uh, yeah, that's it. And so uh, this and, and so I, I and I'm loving it because this is amazing. I, I know I sound like a. Uh, antiquated old man, but you know how old I am, ESP? No, how old are you? Now. Uh. <laughs> My age is now. All right. I live in the eternal now. Because uh. my age is now. That's how I, I live, how I vibrate. That's my frequency. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got into the uh, Livingston Live podcast. Yes, ma'am. And, and I just fell into that uh, setup there. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad no matter how you came to actually do it, I am thrilled 
that you finally decided to do it because yours you. is a voice that needed to be heard. In fact, whether you want to be heard or not, even at a whisper, your voice mm. resonates through the soul. Mm. Now, here's the point. When you have something to say, mm-hmm. which is 99% of the time, it, it resonates in our people. Mm. It resonates through the body because of the temper of your mm. brain. Mm. So I'm going to ask you two questions that I know are going to make a difference to the family that's listening. Number one, your feelings on the vaccine. Mm. Number two, there's a podcast that you did the other day that I listened to that shook me to the core, and mm. it was about reparations. Mm-hmm. Take them in any order that you want. I'm going to sit back and let you run because that's what you do. <laughs> well, let me deal with the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine question first. The last Saturday of 2020, uh, one of my first cousins succumbed, died to from COVID-19. The first Saturday of 2021, my mom's oldest brother and last living brother succumbed to COVID-19. Uh, one cousin, my cousin was in Michigan. My uncle was in Chicago. I'm so sorry. And they wanted to talk to me about, you know, my relatives dying and and my feelings as a black man, as a black leader minister on the whole vaccination piece, they were asking me if they were vaccinated and everything. So one of the, and they, they weren't, you know, and uh, one of the questions the reporter posed to me, he says, so uh, are you vaccinated? I said, no. He said, are you waiting to be vaccinated? I said, no. And he was kind of shocked by that. And he said, why? I said, well, I want to wait. I said, I haven't seen enough responses yet. And let me shift. I'm going to go into the whole interview. So then I was doing a thing with the uh, National uh, Black Church Collective. And I was on, uh, I was, this is my first time being with them. And so I was on a, a Zoom call and they had physicians from all across the country. It was incredible on the Zoom call to talk about uh, uh, va- vaccination hesitancy in minority communities. It was uh, black physicians, Latino physicians, you know, minority physicians talking about some of the issues they had to deal with and talking to the community about getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Let me let me start with the Latinos first. Something I hadn't even thought about or realized when you deal with uh, cultural Catholicism. In many ways, uh, many of our Latino brothers and sisters, uh, Hispanic, even Hispanic is Spain, right? Latino is Latin America. Right. Just to use that 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 when we talk about it. The, the, the Catholicity, the Catholicism is very cultural in many of, of those kind of cultures and, and those and, and our people. And many of them are old school Catholic. Not to go too far back on your on the family, on the audience, but many of them don't get with Vatican II from 1962. They're mm-hmm. still pre-Vatican II. It's just like the Ethiopian Jews and some other Jews they have found in Africa. They, they were not practicing rabbinical Judaism, which was like around the first century. They still were practicing sacrificial Judaism. They were Mm. still sacrificing lambs and everything like that. So it was a real shock to the state of Israel when you had these African Jews had not stepped in. They had not been touched by the Romans, if you will. And they were Mm -hmm. practicing sacrificial Judaism. So anyway, and so 
these were scientists, these doctors on the Zoom call. I respect that, you know, because science to me is merely observation and conclusion versus mm -hmm. science, history versus science. I said, what you're dealing with, it's not about facts. It's about trust. It's about emotions. I said, my own father, something, he's from the South, deep South, something that happened to him with a doctor. And he had not gone to see a physician after that for 43 years, wow. for 43 years. I said, now that's not documented in any journal. First of all, he would not even tell anybody that was trying to document it about his experience. Mm -hmm. I said, what I'm saying to you is, is that there are oral family histories about situations and difficulties that have occurred from being black in America and getting back real quick to the Catholic, Latino, Hispanic point mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. that uh, Pope Francis had approved the vaccination for them because many of them had issues because they had been tested on fetal tissues. And so they had issues with it being tested on fetal issues. And some of them didn't care what Pope Francis had to say because they were still old school Catholic and they were going to do have nothing to do with anything that had anything to do with any kind of fetal tissues or, or, uh, or that subject matter, as it were. I said, mm -hmm. but anyway, it's about history versus science. There's a book by a sister out of Harvard University called uh, Medical Apartheid, Medical Apartheid, Apartheid, Harriet Washington, where she chronicles the medical experimentation on black folk in America from 1619 on forward. I'm not gonna get too deep into that, but people really, some people, if, they, if they're not even a casual student of history, have no idea what black folk went through in this country medically. Mm -hmm. And Very these true. stories oftentimes are ignored. Today is woman's day, history, her story, right? Well, black story, <laughs> right? Have no idea, but these stories have traveled through the families for mm -hmm. generations, as it were. Eh? And so I said, what we have to work on is trust. And trust takes time. And so there is no easy way to make people say, let's do it. Now, me, will I eventually get it? Yeah, I'll get it if I think that it's, it's the right thing to get. But there's too many factors involved for me. And I say this with objectivity, that it takes a, a minute to uh, get a vaccine and have human trials and all of these things. You know, I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is for Gregory Seal Livingston, I need to see a bit more evidence. You know, just because you tell me that you're a great ball player, you know, you can tell me all you want to. <laughs> now, here's the ball. There's the court. There's the field. There's the diamond. Let's see what you can do. And mm -hmm. so we know that there have been various responses. And, uh, but I think what's more important for me is that we teach people how to treat their bodies and their minds in a healthy and therapeutic manner because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this immune system can do incredible things if we don't compromise it. And mm -hmm. so that's the reason I can appreciate opportunities like this to put out a health, life-giving kind of narrative that will get into the consciousness of people and then it will begin to flow from their consciousness to, from their invisible parts to their visible parts because we speak life and words are life because words are merely articulated breath. 
And when we want to bring someone back to life, you breathe into that person. Mm -hmm. So let us breathe some articulated breath into people and see won't they live. Now, if I address that, number two, reparations, 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 reparations. Ooh, we. And I, I'll Rupi, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to take oh. a break right okay. there right. and then come back with that steamroll, <laughs> <laughs> steamroll engine that you have. But let's take a break. Family will be right back with Reverend Gregory Seal Livingston, and we'll be talking about reparations. Hang in there. We'll be back soon. My name is Amaudis Grujong, and I own Bronx Native, a retail shop in the Bronx. We had been steadily expanding, then COVID hit. We lost 50% of our revenue and were forced to close our Hunts Point location. That's when I learned about the NYC Small Business Resource Network, and it was free. After I signed up, I quickly heard back from my specialist and connected me to solutions that are helping my e-commerce business through things like copywriting, legal support, and various financial resources. Our small businesses make New York, New York. Let's keep it that way. Sign up today and keep your business strong. It's now time, it's now time, it's now time. I'm Reverend Gregory Seal Livingston and welcome to the Livingston Live podcast. The title of today's podcast is What Barack Just Said. Yep. If you saw the cover photo of today's episode, there's a photo of former President Barack Obama. And the caption talks about he believes in reparations to the descendants of uh, those uh, Africans who were enslaved during the transatlantic slave trading and but during his presidency he couldn't make that happen because of white resentment and resistance now let me say this if you've listened to previous episodes of the livingston live podcast we're not trying to justify reparations not trying to justify reparations at all the justification the justification of reparations is a non sequitur. That's a given. We're supposed to be uh, uh, repaired, as it were. We even pointed out that slave owners have received and are still receiving reparations. No, what we're saying is that we're outraged that the reparations have not been paid yet, that the debt has not been paid yet. Listen, the first black president, Barack Obama, a Kenyan American, a Kenyan American is in the White House for eight years, and he says that he could not even think about proposing. Conspiracies on assignment today, but in I, I get the most fabulous guest that I could ever possibly have. The Reverend Gregory Seal Livingston is with us, and we are moving into our next subject which is reparations. Now, I know that's a touchy subject for a lot of y'all, but here's the thing. Most of you really don't understand it. You've heard the word. You've heard people talk about 
the word, but I'm going to give you such insight. Reverend Gregory is going to pull you in such clarity of thought on this subject, but I guarantee you by the time you leave this conversation, you will fully understand why reparations are important and how reparations are important to the Black community. So let me get out of his way. Reverend Livingston, it's all on you. To the most fabulous host that could ever be interviewed by and have this incredible conversation, the magnificent ESP. But let me, let me, oh, yeah, <laughs> indeed. Let me begin the reparations conversation this way. Uh, let me just start this way. Haiti, Haiti, that great country. And Haiti uh, achieved their independence, if you will, their freedom from France in 1804. In 1804, they, they got their independence from France. And so let's just, just follow me, if you will. 1812 in uh, New York City, uh, the merchants come together and they form a bank called the City Bank of New York, the City Bank of New York. And so now in 1825, France comes back to the waters around Haiti and surrounds Haiti with their warships and says to Haiti, we want reparations for our lost property, our lost profit, our lost assets in terms of the freed slaves, as it were, that were enslaved to France. And so that's 1825. So they said, now you have to start paying us, the slave owners, reparations for that which we have lost. And also at that time, Haiti uh, probably produced about three quarters of the sugar, of sugar in the world, three quarters of sugar in the world. And France said, you, you will also sell us our sugar at a 50% discount. Now people wonder why countries like Haiti are so impoverished, are so poor. So now they have this huge product that they have to sell to a country like France at a 50% discount, and they have to pay reparations. And so Haiti pays reparations to France, to the slave owners from 1825 to 1947, less than 100 years ago. That means that Haiti, the island nation of Haiti paid reparations to the descendants, the descendants of the French slave owners for mm -hmm. 122 years. The bank that financed their independence debt, as we call it, their independence debt was the City Bank of New York, which you might know today as Citibank. Mm. So Citibank got the interest payments. Uh, and then how it works, you buy a house, you buy a house with somebody, but you get a mortgage from the bank. And so the way the bank makes the money is that you're paying interest, right? Mm -hmm. And so Citibank is getting interest, blood money, as it were, from Haiti. Now, in 2004, Haiti demands the repayment of their reparations from France. Demands it. 2004. Let's skip to 2010. There is an earth shattering earthquake in Haiti. Mm -hmm. So many of us remember that one of the most devastating human catastrophes we've ever witnessed. 2015, after deliberating for 11 years, France finally responds to Haiti's demand for the repayment of reparations. Now, 2010 earth shattering earth, uh, earthquake and everything. 
France in 2015 says to Haiti, no, no, no. So someone might say, well, why should they? Well, pull up, hold up, we're getting to that. In America, the U.S. of A., we have paid reparations to slave owners. In 1862, Abraham Lincoln signed into law the District of Columbia Emancipation Act, mm -hmm. where slave owners received $300 for every free slave. Now remember, after the Civil War, 1865, right after that, from 1865 to 1875, 76, 77, you have Reconstruction. But the free, the emancipated slaves, the emancipated Africans, the emancipated black-skinned free labor of America were promised 40 acres and a mule. Mm -hmm. Well, only a few black folk got that out of the millions that were released. Because what do you do when you go out into this world? So let me keep going. Then you have these, uh, like the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. You have some acts. Then in 1875, Ulysses S. Grant is the president, and he signs into law the Civil Rights Act of 1875. Not of 1964, but the Civil Rights Act of 1875. So now Rutherford B. Hayes, who was an abolitionist, but he needed 20, I believe it was 20 electoral votes to become president after Grant. I think it was 20 or 22 electoral votes. So see this whole electoral vote thing, hear me now, none of this is new. Let's just study a little history. We'll find out and we'll know, if we know how the other team played other teams last week, we got a mm -hmm. better chance of beating them this week. That's Never forget right. that, right? And so they tell him that if you will withdraw any support from this 1875 Civil Rights Act that is to protect the rights of black citizens in America, we will give you the 20 electoral votes needed to become president. In history, it is known as the Great Compromise. Mm -hmm. And he did. He said, I will not support it. He becomes president. So what happens? You then have Confederate sympathizers who are judges, who are sheriffs, because there was no professional policing at that time. That's the, that's in the, that comes in the 1900s. Mm -hmm. You are sheriffs, there are counties, laws, people protected their own property, you know, all these things. No professional policing yet. But then you have these, what I would call race police. Nathan Forrester, the Ku Klux Klan. In Greek, that means the circle. The circle is us and nobody else, right? And, the, and these groups began to develop because they have these sympathizers who wanted to go back to what it was and understand racism, racism is not the problem. I'm going to get to the other part, ESP, because racism is merely a system, an enterprise, a methodology to achieve an economic objective. When people talk about anti-racism, they don't know what they're talking about. You don't have to be a white supremacist to be a racist. Why? Because if you see that this being racist will help you get money, if you're in an office and somebody sees that they have an advantage over not dealing with black people or not signing up black people for certain services because we don't want them savage Negroes in our neighborhood collecting or being treated, well, then that's using 
the system of racism to advance or promote your objectives, your economic objectives. White supremacy, according to the Oxford, Oxford, that's Oxford. That is, that is the language book, dictionary of language. It says that white supremacy is a doctrine or belief that the white race is superior. And it says this in the definition, don't get it twisted, anybody, and especially superior to mm -hmm. the black race because it was invented to deal with the black race. White supremacy has not always existed. And when people talk about all this, I'm like, well, show me black supremacy, please. Yeah. And so now, so people, they really don't understand Dr. King or they've only been able to view the edited versions of Dr. King. They don't understand everything that he went through or how deep he really was when he gives his great speech in 1963 at the March on Washington, he makes the statement that uh, America gave us a check. They brought us a check. And, you know, the check bounced. It came back non-sufficient, insufficient funds. Oh. And people heard, thought that was oratorical flourish, ESP. It was mm -hmm. not. He still had people with him that were born in the late 1800s. And they still remember the promise General Tecumseh, Abraham Lincoln, had made about 40 acres and a mule. And he's saying, we didn't get that which was promised to us. Because then you have the promise also in 1862, where white males were given free. It's not the Land Grant Act. That's something else. I just forgot the name of it. But giving free land to move out west. 160 acres mm -hmm. of free land to move out west. Now, and then the Land Grant Act was that you could establish a college, a school for free because the land was granted to you. Here's the thing. And what those colleges taught, this is where you get the agricultural schools from. They mm -hmm. taught you how to farm the land, how to grow food, how to become self-sufficient and to turn that growth of food into commerce. They taught people how to do that, how to till the soil in these areas. Don't you see? Can't you see it? So, so then you're getting free land, free schooling, Negroes getting freed. But understand that, 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 that freedom is merely the prerequisite to equality. Mm -hmm. That's all. Equality, you know, you're free to starve to death if you want to. You're free to walk out and play in traffic if you want to. You're free to jump off the top of a building. Freedom is just the beginning. It is a prerequisite. Okay, now, mm -hmm. so slave owners in America and other places have been getting reparations ever since the generational victims of transatlantic, the transatlantic slave trade have been doing this whenever they had to deal with freedom. Because remember, in America, slave trading was abolished in 1808. Looking at countries, let's say six major countries, Portuguese, Portugal, uh, France, Britain, Spain, Denmark, the Netherlands, the Dutch, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, Brazil had 10 times more Africans shipped to them for slavery, 10 times than America, 10 mm -hmm. times. And that's why they speak Portuguese in Brazil because of the Portuguese slave trade. Mm -hmm. And they would ship the slaves and the slaves would be kept in cages. And, and, and this is the title, one of the, part of the subtitle of uh, Zora Neale Hurston's book, uh, The Last Cargo, is that these cages were called barracoons, B-A-R-R-A-C-O-O-N, which is the Portuguese word 
for the cages they were kept mm -hmm. in. And so they would tell somebody, bring the coons. It's like shortening the name. Bring the coons. <laughs> you know, they knew who they were talking about. And so many wow. of us, you know, because we had that history kept from us, Ooh. you know, we, we, we don't even understand that it ain't got nothing to do with a raccoon. So we can look at, D at Daniel Boone and raccoon hats altogether differently because it ain't had nothing to do with us. You know, mm -hmm. let me just take this quick, this quick detour to give you an example. Uh, you know, the Jamestown, of course, is one of the ports for slavery, Jamestown, Virginia. 60% of Africans came through that port. Sullivan's Port in South Carolina is the other port. 40% of Africans came through there. It is from South Carolina and the Sullivan Ports experience where the South Africans learned and modeled their apartheid system, okay? That's where they modeled it from. You have to remember the Dutch are in South Africa. The mm -hmm. Boers are in South Africa. And so the Dutch were slave trading gods. New York was colonized by the Dutch. Mm -hmm. New York had more slaves than any other Northern state. And the number one commodity of New York was not cotton, was not tobacco, was not sugar. The number one commodity in New York was black-skinned Africans. Mm -hmm. That is the number one commodity. They built the wall that became Wall Street. The New York Stock Exchange, the exchange was not tobacco, sugar, and cotton. It was black-skinned Africans, okay? And so now, we talk about 1619. But in 1591, in South Carolina, 1591, people talk about what is the Africans, well, what is the responsibility of Africans that if, if all the Africans were not kidnapped, some of them were sold by other Africans. Here's, here's where this comes in. Uh, you had African tribes that warred against one another. You had African nations that warred against one another. One of the greatest African states that ever existed is called the Songhai Empire. S-O-N-G-H-A-I, the Songhai Empire, probably the, la the largest Western African state ever. And so then they had prisoners of war, prisoners of war. And so what happened is these uh, transatlantic slave traders would make deals to take the prisoners of war and bring them back. And so when they had these prisoners of war in South Carolina, they were having problems because they were not slaves. They were warriors. They were prisoners of war and they could not handle them. So you know what they did? The slave owners then went to Germany to learn how to subjugate, to subjugate, to break like horses, men and women who would not submit. And whenever somebody talks about, if, if I was living during those times, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. When you're born into it, that's all you know. And so anyway, getting back to my other point, forgive me for the detours, <laughs> ESP. But no, I love um, the detours. It's okay. Yeah. So, so, so you have the descendants of slave owners who are still receiving the benefits of the transatlantic slave trade. What do you mean, Livingston? I mean this. Uh, oh, my gosh. I, I, I want to read you a quote. Can I do that? Yes, you can. I I might have to get up on this phone with my ugly mug, but y'all just forgive me. I'll get it out there. You know what I'm saying? Habba he bob hey. You know? 
Hobbit, he bob. Hey, that, that, that's James. That's James Brown for all you, you youngins out there. Uh-huh. I need to find this quote for you. Yeah, now, 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 this quote is from Karl Marx. All right, mm-hmm. Karl Marx in his influential economic history of capitalism, Das Kapital, wrote that the turning of Africa into a warren for the commercial hunting of black skins signaled the rosy dawn of the era of capitalist production. He argues that the slave trade was part of what he termed the primitive accumulation of capital, the non-capitalist accumulation of wealth that preceded and created the financial conditions for Britain's industrialization. Yeah, okay, you know. Mm -hmm. And so all these countries have benefited from black-skinned slaves. And there is no statue of limitations on their profit. There is no statue of limitations on their wealth because the wealth and the profit that was created by slaves, the non-paid, non-insured, no workers comp, brutalized, savagely treated human beings, that profit extends into perpetuity. It is perpetual. So since there is no statute of limitations on the profit, on the wealth, there is also no economic or statute of limitations on its repayment. You know, let me call a couple of names here. There's one young sister named uh, Candace Owens. I, I don't call people names. And the other brother, Herschel Walker, they were saying that we shouldn't do this. We're in a different day now. And when they talk like that, see, I'm not emotional in terms of my thinking, but the emotions can fuel the energy that my thinking needs. Mm. This ain't about hurting folks' feelings or causing divisions. What they're talking is bad business. There have been services rendered and no payment. Mm. There are accounts receivable. It, <laughs> economic justice has no statute of limitations. Malcolm X said, if you stab me in the back with a knife and you leave it there, and then you pull it out and you walk away, you still haven't done the right thing. You pulled the knife out, but you haven't repaired, reparations, repaired the wound that you made. I'm Mm -hmm. still bleeding. You follow me? And so when you get people like Marx talking, that's why you had all of these difficulties with individuals and some of the folk that black folk would associate with. Let's say, you know, some people have confused white Christianity with Christianity. Don't do that. You know, Jesus wasn't white. You know, I, I don't I don't say black Jesus. That's that that is uh, redundant for me to say black Re- Jesus. Reverend, Reverend, yes. yes. I'm going to have to hold you <laughs> there. I'm not going to stop you. I'm going yes. to have to hold you there because thought makes thought makes thought makes thought, and we can yes. continue the chain. But at some point, I have to interject. Yes. <laughs> and I'm I'm picking my moments. Um, sure. You, that was a mouthful. There were there are a lot of things that I need to question for the family sure. that are listening. And I've been trying to keep up with the note processes, but 
let's go to the last set of commentaries that you made with the modern day blacks who have been giving pushback against yes. this. Because from my perception of the whole subject matter, they're still doing it. You're talking about pulling the knife. You haven't repaired the wound. They're still in the act of creating a damaging situation for the Black people that are currently living. We yes. can't get loans. We can't get uh, credit lines. It, it, they're still not treating us the way they should be treating us or the way they treat each other in the marketplace, in the job markets. And when I say they, I say any, the they applies here to anyone who is other than black. Yes. You may hone that into a different specificity, so be it. But right now, because I have listeners who are listening that feel this, they're brown, they're, they're all different colors other than Caucasian. So yes. they feel the resonance of what we're talking about. Sure. Okay. So now, my question to you, maybe I'm jumping to the end with this and then we're going to work back to the middle. I hear you. Mm -hmm. I understand you. Historically, I'm following you, but in paying reparations, mm -hmm. where is this money coming from? I'm glad you asked me that question. Go ahead. Okay. I, I had to I had to get it in there because, I mean, some people are listening and they're really on board. Some people are listening going, hmm, they can't even pay me my paycheck, much less reparations. Some people are saying it's never going to happen. But I would like you to come to the end. And address that. Where is it going to generate from? And then how do you see it dispersed amongst the people that you feel that it belongs to? That is an awesome question. Let me, let me start or begin in this way. One of the things that COVID-19 showed us is that the American government and other governments around the world have a way of getting people money if they really want to. All of a sudden, people that didn't have bank accounts, people that had bad credit, people that had debt collectors, people that were owed, that owed folks money, everything, still got the money, regardless. Got the, got the 1,200, got the 600, and, 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 and we created ways for them to get it electronically. Didn't nobody go and get no cash. Everybody, even if you were an immigrant with no social security number, you still got money. So that's the first thing. We, we understand that anything can be done because everything is impossible until someone does it. But here's the whole idea behind the money ESP. You see, there's a bill that is in Congress right now, Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee, House Bill HB, House Bill 40, where they want to study, you know, reparations and all that. That's fine. I ain't got nothing to do with that. I'm about a reparations revolution. And what that means is this. We have countries, Portugal, Spain, France, Denmark, uh, 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 the Netherlands, right? We have these countries, Britain, that we need to now go to them and say, it's time for you to begin to put money in a reparations pot because you, we need to get this money from you all. There's a reason that you go to Rotterdam, right? You know, you go to Amsterdam, you go to, they have all these banks that are there. It's incredible. You can go to some of these places and they had it before 9-11. You could hide your money. In these places, all these things. 
because these were all they made their money and their 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 billions and trillions off of slavery and the slave trade. They produced that. So we need to collect about 11 or 12 trillion dollars from all these countries. You know, to, you give us three trillion, you give us two trillion, you give. Look, Germany is still paying, I believe, reparations to Israel. I think they paid like what? I don't know. Uh, 190 billion, 200 billion dollars, something so far. You had the Japanese who were interred, the Japanese Americans who were interred, eh? And they were paid for their suffering, you know, reparations. And so, look, matter of factly, two things. I'm, I'm being introduced to the Council General of Amsterdam this week because I told them, you know, I got a couple of things planned ESP. One is hopefully on Dr. King's assassination anniversary. April 4th, I'm going to do something at the Netherlands Embassy here in New York City to let them know it's time to pay, you know. And then on Juneteenth, June 19th, I want to have a whole bunch of red, yellow, black, brown, and white folk in Amsterdam demanding payment because revolutions never start from the top down. They always start from the, from the mm -hmm. bottom up. And if there's ever a time that we need to strike while the iron is hot, it is now because people have a heightened sensitivity and cognizance to the need to make this thing happen. And someone says, but what are you going to do with the money? It ain't none of your business what I'm going to do with the money. If I steal $100,000 from you, if I steal $100,000 from you, and then I come back to you, I see you in 50 years, I say, look, man, I know I owe you that 100 grand. You know, I want to get that money back to you, but I ain't going to give it back to you with no interest or none. I'll just give you the straight 100, even though the 100 what it would be worth now is probably, you know, a million dollars, but I'll give you the hundred. And you say, well, okay, but look, before I give it back, before I give you your money back, before I give you what you worked for, before I give you what you labored for, I need to know from you how you're going to spend it. Don't come to me with that kind of paternalistic <laughs> attitude. You ain't my master no more. I am not your slave. Give me what you owe me and we'll figure out the rest. And we have criteria on who going to get that money and who ain't. We got criteria for that. If you ain't claiming to be black right now, if you ain't claiming to be no Negro, if you ain't claiming to be no person with any kind of uh, slave lineage, if you just want to be something else, because see, I ain't half Dutch and I ain't half Irish. I'm half Arkansas and half Louisiana. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I got slaves in my lineage. Mm -hmm. I ain't ashamed. There was a time when black covered every category because we didn't decide to call ourselves black. The breeder, the horse breeder, Thomas Jefferson, president, had children by the slave Sally Hemings. Thomas Jefferson comes up with the color scale, mulatto, quadroon, octoroon. And he says, by the time you get to octoroon or one-eighth, the next white person you marry, you're back fully white. That's breeding talk. We didn't make that up, mm. but we were the subjects of it. And so the money comes from us making the demand on these countries that have benefited from our ancestors' sacrifice, non-consensual sacrifice, mm -hmm. we were spiritually raped, violated, used, misused, and abused. And I believe that we have people now that will rise up and say, yes, we need to do that. Somebody says, what about white privilege? Why do you think people will give up white privilege? 
Well, here's the problem when you talk to white folk about white privilege. When they said we need to dismantle white privilege, and I said to a white friend of mine, I said, how do you dismantle the very thing of which you are the embodiment? <clears throat> and they said, what? I said, I had Jewish friends in Chicago. You know, their parent, parents came here after World War II. They changed their last names to hide. I said, well, my parents left down south. We could have changed our names all we want to. We couldn't hide. I said, because in America, you have, if I could do this real quick, yes, because this is important. You have the colonizers, right? They come to here to colonize for Great Britain, right? And everything. But then they decide we can be a nation. So then they then say we need a democracy. And so the Constitution is a document that is a response to a monarchy. And then you have the Declaration of Independence, which is not about individual rights, actually. It is about we have the right to be a nation equal to any other nation. We declare ourselves independent from you. Then you have the Bill of Rights, which says that the aristocrats and those individuals will not control us. Great Britain, we're going to have a militia, so we have the right to bear arms. You just can't come into our homes, search and seize your Fourth Amendment. You can't do any of that. But then, so you have from monarchy to democracy to, you know, and all these kind of things. But then what they ha happened then was the colotocracy or the pigmentocracy. And the mm -hmm. 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments about freeing slaves, freeing Blacks, because Black folk are the only folk mentioned in the Constitution, right? When they use racial electoral mathematics, that Blacks <laughs> counted for three-fifths of a person, right? Mm -hmm. A Black man. And so, and so then that is the, 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 the response, if you will, to the colotocracy or the pigmentocracy. The same way Jefferson and Washington, the revolutionaries responded to the monarchy, what we're doing now is responding to the colotocracy of America. Okay, now, having said that, these countries uh, that are part of the Euro hegemony, as it were, uh, these sovereign states, they owe us money, period. I don't need to study that. I don't need to have arguments about that. You owe us money. Like I said, when I went to the South Bronx, I felt it. I felt like I was at home. They told me the South Bronx was rough. And I got there, it was like the South side of Chicago. I felt so good. What I'm saying is, you know, when you go around the world, you say Chicago, people go, Al Capone, da, 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 da. <laughs> gangster. Say, I, 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 don't, I don't need no weak knee spaghetti back, jelly spine folks trying to tell me how to get out reparations. Let's get some gangsters. And we go down there and we work with these people because we are not afraid to demand and to make happen, happen that which is rightfully ours. Woo! Reverend? Yes, sir? Reverend, we got to yes, give the family a minute to absorb <laughs> all of that. Family, get your pen and piece of paper because there's more information coming. I told you all to get ready when I introduced him. Ah. But right now, we're going to have to take a quick break. We'll be back with Reverend Gregory Seal Livingston. This is ESP uh -huh. Speaks. We'll see you in a minute.
When we get hurt, no one tells us. Lose the crutches. It's all in your head. If someone is seriously ill, we don't say. Just feel less pneumonia-y. So how is it that when... I'm not able to sleep at night. I'm anxious all the time. Drinking is the only way I can feel good these days. Seems like I'm arguing with the people I love nonstop. Or other issues related to our mental health. Too many people pretend we can just... Snap out of it. Taking care of our mental health shouldn't be any different than taking care of our physical health. But let's be honest, there's still too much secrecy and shame around seeking help. The truth is, this affects nearly all of us. One in five adult New Yorkers are dealing with a mental health disorder every year. Now imagine a city where the path to taking care of your mental health is crystal clear. We're not just going to imagine it. We created a roadmap for mental health to make our city as healthy and as strong as it can be. The roadmap has six guiding principles. Change the culture. Let's make it easier to talk about our mental health. Act early. Investing in prevention gives New Yorkers the tools to weather challenges. Close treatment gaps. We need proven programs in every neighborhood and every community. Partner with communities. The wisdom of local communities will help us get to the most effective solutions. Use data better. Better data means better treatment, better policies, and better prevention. Strengthen government's ability to lead, because we have a responsibility to support your access to mental health. New York City is moving closer to the day when the path to mental health is clear for every New Yorker. Get involved. Find out more about the roadmap here. And good evening, family. Again, we are back with Reverend Gregory Seal. Livingston. And if you've been hanging with us, you know this has been a mind-blowing conversation. I should say a mind-blowing monologue because when this man speaks, I just got to sit back and let him flow. This is amazing information. I can't wait to dig further in. And Reverend, I've actually got a caller on the line that has been dying to speak with you awesome, his awesome. name is Faze so let's bring him in and we have yes how you doing it's an honor Reverend it's an honor it's my honor brother um, Faze it's a pleasure yes sir okay. the first question I have is um, the Emancipation Proclamation uh, was in in 1863 January 1st 1863 I would like to know, did the slave owners receive reparations? Well, you had Lincoln signed uh, into law in 1862, the District of Columbia Emancipation Act. Uh, remember, slave trading was abolished in America in 1808. So, you know, but still mm -hmm. illegal slave trading, transatlantic slave tra trading still went on. So in 1862, Lincoln signed the District of Columbia Emancipation Act, which paid reparations to slave owners of at least $300 per freed slave. I know of one instance where one slave owner, and you got to put this at $2021, and 1862 got $69,000. Think of that, 69 with their free slaves. How far could $69,000 take you in 1862? So yes, there were reparations paid to slave owners. And the other point, I will make is this, in terms of transatlantic slave trading, the countries, Portugal, Britain, France, Spain, Denmark, and the Netherlands, there have never any, ever, 
ever, there's never ever been any slave trading, any reparations paid to the descendants of that particular debacked and diabolical system. But there have been slave owner reparations where their descendants have received monies for centuries. Wow, okay. And so now that was issued January 1st, 1863. Is that correct? The Emancipation Proclamation, yes, sir. Became okay. law. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So now back to um, going to this reparations, I was, um, I, during my research, I found out that they base it basically on the Constitution. And I read, I've been reading that the, just the word black is what takes away our rights from even uh, abiding by the Constitution because they entered that word black. Is that true? Can you help clarify your question just a bit for me? I think it's a great question. I just need a bit more clarity in terms of what you're asking me, <laughs> if you don't mind reframing and repeating. Yeah. Yes, there. What I, during my research, I found out that the word "black" we call our we we have been called black, and we call ourselves black, the color black. And I, um, during my research, I'm finding out that just that word "black" is what gives us the 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 non rights of the 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 constitution because that word black was not inscribed into the constitution so therefore without that word that would be man which would be us but we're not considered man we're considered black man is well, that true well, well, and that's a great question, and thank you. Let me address it in this way, if you don't mind. Uh, race, race, especially the American version of race, race is merely a sociopolitical construct that is only partially genetic. Sociopolitical construct that is only partially genetic. You know, you had something in 1619 that, you know, that you, you could say, you could be white and say you are black but you cannot be black and say you are white. Why is that? Because those are colonial constructs. Uh, that was the way when they began to bring Africans over, that those who were part of the European hegemony as it were, you know, the, the, the British, the French, you know, these European persons, they began to group themselves according to the white label. Now, the Africans never gave themselves, as you said, we were called, we never gave ourselves the label black. That, that, was, that was put upon us, Negro. That was put upon us. We never called ourselves that. We were individuals who, uh, uh, we had national identities. That's why when I wrote something or in my podcast, ESP, I talked about Barack Obama being the first black president, a Kenyan American, a Kenyan American. When you say African American, mm -hmm. Africa is a continent. Kenya is a country. When I say Italian-American, I'm talking about a country. When I say Irish-American, I'm talking about a country. But because we talked about in 1591, the Shanghai Empire and everything, Brother Faze, and how they went to Germany and Blumenbach and all these people basically told them how to subjugate these people and break them like horses in order to erase their, their pride and their identities, as it were. And so now you don't know where you came from anymore. You don't know your country. So now you have a new identity. 
And what the Bible teaches us, Doc, is that 400 years is long enough to create a new people. So then you have something like, let me do this if you will, something like jazz. Jazz is African rhythms played on European instruments. That's, that is a distinct American form of music. They didn't have jazz in Europe and these places, even in Africa before we started doing it here. So uh, blacks, when the constitution was ratified in 1787, uh, nobody was thinking about us because we didn't, we, we didn't exist. The doctrine of, 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 of uh, white supremacy was there. What's the other one called? Uh, manifest destiny. All these things. Because remember, England, Great Britain, was all about bloodlines. All about bloodlines, right? And so then blue bloods and all these kind of people, bloodlines. So when they come to America, it is no longer about bloodlines because they are getting away from the monarchial or the monarchy and the aristocracy, at least in name. And then it becomes still biological. It becomes melanin content, mm -hmm. melanin content. If you could pass for white based on your lack of melanin content, as long as your pedigree was not discovered, you could be white in America. But once your pedigree was discovered, or if you tanned a little bit too deep, Sicilians, <laughs> Italians, in the sun, you became suspect, eh? And so we were never even considered in the Constitution. And really, you know, it's not till you get to the uh, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, because most of people don't understand, you had all kind of slave uprisings. You know, we're created in the image and likeness of God. You can beat me down as much as you want, but truth crushed to the earth will rise again. And so we kept fighting because we knew that we were not beasts of burden. We knew, even if we couldn't verbalize it in the Queen's English, we knew better, you see. And so, but now, but what you have to do is then take that knowledge, take that information, and you have to organize it into power. And so we constantly fought. That's why I tell all my beloved BLMers from this summer and now, Black Lives Matters. I said, understand there's something about the universe that y'all ain't the first ones to use BLM. I said, they used to be called the Black Liberation Movement. And James Brown wow. said, say it loud. That's right. That's I, right. Black and I'm brown. And he got banned from every mm. major white radio station That's in the country right. for making that statement until Sylvester Stallone <laughs> brought him back in Rocky Four with the song Living in America. America. That's right. So, so what I'm saying is, this is a continuum. This is a constant applied pressure. And that's why we've come to the point of reparations now, reparations forever. It's a reparations revolution. We, will re we are revolting against the spirit, methodology, and principles of white supremacy and coming to get what is rightfully ours because my forebears, my ancestors, my foremothers and fathers did not die in vain. This show, I'm going to have to rein it in because we're going to have to do a whole nother show just based on the principles that are being talked about here. But for this show, Reverend Gregory Livingston, that we are sitting here chatting with. This was to introduce this amazing podcast that he has called Livingston Live. And also, I would like you to touch upon 
what you are setting up currently for Juneteenth of this year, and then we're going to have to close it up because we've got a lot of information, but we're not going to be able to fit it all into this one thing. So, Reverend, please tie it up for us and let us know what's going on for Juneteenth and uh, any final words on your past podcast. Sure thing. Let me do the podcast first. Livingston Live, L-I-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Anchor. Just type in Livingston Live. It'll pop up. I got three episodes in the can now. You'll love it. Follow me because I want to be like ESP when I grow up. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you can follow me on the Internet. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and stuff at G-S Livingston, G-S-L-I-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N. Uh, what we're planning to do with the reparations piece, because, again, revolution is from the bottom up and not from the top down. Uh, I have some people that are connecting me to the Council General in Amsterdam uh, this week. And also there's an attorney, I won't mention his name at this point, but we're meeting. He's also the attorney for the 9-11 families that have this 18-year lawsuit in against uh, the Saudi Arabians for the 9-11 issue. And because right now he's really busy with the Kasogi piece of the journalist that was killed. Uh, he's, he's been uh, retained to do that as well. But I'm saying he's a heavyweight that understands as he really wants to get with me on this reparations part. So we're not just talking bringing in the right parties and we can't never have enough people to do this but on april 4th i'm looking to do at the netherlands embassy in new york city because new york was colonized by the dutch those are the dutch the netherlands right is that we want to do something there as we prepare to demand the repayment of what is owed to the descendants the generational victims of transatlantic slave trade and then on juneteenth right on Juneteenth, June 19th, y'all know what that is, is that we want to be in Amsterdam with red, yellow, black, brown, and white, people of faith and goodwill, demanding and going there and showing just as a beginning, because it's the Netherlands, it's Britain, it's France, it's Spain, it's Portugal. It's time to open up some of that bank money you all got. Y'all put together about $12 trillion. We'll figure out what to do with it from there. But we have to start now. The revolution has begun. It's time for the bill collector. Hey. And DJ Faze, we have DJ Faze on the line. He ha he was with us with questions today. You can also catch DJ Faze on his page. Faze, give us your, your tagline so people can come on over and hear what you're playing. Yes, okay. I'm DJ Faze on Periscope. I'm also D-E-E-J-A-Y-P-H-A-S-E -E -E on Facebook. And I'm the real DJ Phase on Instagram. All right. Thank you. So you guys tune in, check him out. I'm going to put his information as well as the Reverend's information in the chat. It's also going to be available on ESP Speaks on our fan page at Facebook. But we got to tie this up. Pastor, once again, thank you so much. Pastor, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Incredible. I I, I wish and, this could go on for another 24 okay, hours. Okay, but it can't. And I got to tie up the show for family. DJ Face, it's time for the percolator. Come on. We're going we gonna to percolate this. And Esther, <laughs> if you like your coffee hot, I'll be your coffee pot. Come on, girl. It's Woo! time for the bill collector. Come on. I can't with the two of y'all. Family, thank you so much for joining us. 
as you could I hope you had fun and I hope you had a lot of information. Yes. Once again, you'll be It's able wonderful. to run this again. Yes. We'll put all of the information on our Facebook pages and on our Periscope and Instagram. I love you. I love you. I love you. In the meantime, you know, we'll be back next week. Saturday at 6 p.m. I'll have another fabulous for you, a fabulous show for you. But I want you to do one thing. You know what I'm going to say. Be positive. Test negative. We'll see you next time on ESP Speak. Have a great day.